Welcome to episode 14 of the Talkie Taka podcast. All our valuable listeners might be wondering why our host sounds different. It just so happens that today after a 4-1 thrashing neither of the Chelsea supporters have been able to make it to work. All have had convenient excuses. So Swagat and Ab are not on the pod today but we have two stars ready to talk about that thrashing. Let's start with RK. RK, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, I'm ready to kind of relive uh, what we did when you were not there, uh, where we had a master stroke of an episode with Liverpool. So we'll replicate that today. Not, not if I can help it, RK. Not if I can help it. Uh, Ashwin, how's it going? Good, good. I'm uh, always, always happy to bash Chelsea. So if you need anyone to do that, so I'm the man. Suddenly, when Ab is not around, we've all become like how Ab is versus Spurs. Uh, all right, so let's let's get started then. Uh, let's start with your talky moments of the week. Uh, Ashwin, what was yours? For me, it has to be uh, Karnacho's first goal. Um, and uh, what was... Uh, I mean, obviously, it was a really good goal. Um, but also, uh, the celebration that followed it was uh, very interesting. Uh, Garnacho actually took... Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's permission to do his latest napping celebration, which I, which I, which I found like an interesting touch. Um, and yeah, all in good spirit. But I, that was my, that was my, that was my moment of the week. Nice, nice. I, I read about the goal. I didn't watch it because um, Thursday. Um, so RK, coming to you. What was your talking moment of the week? Yeah, moving on from the starstruck little kid uh, to the veteran goalkeeper, Dave Saves is my talking moment of the week. Uh, say uh, He's been in form last few games and he had three or four very uh, major saves to make at the end against uh, West Ham when we were kind of holding on. So that's my talking moment of the week. Do you have one particular one that you like better? Was it the Zuma one or the Rice yeah, both of them uh, actually are my moments. I thought the Zuma one uh, was better uh, while watching it live. But replay, I thought the Rise one was probably the, the best save. It was an incredible save. So my talking moment of the week, actually, uh, Ashwin reminded me uh, when he talked about the celebration. Uh, I could only think about Real Sociedad's mascot celebrating in front of their fans with the Sioux. Uh, celebration with the whole crowd uh, chanting after the mascot. It was pretty incredible to watch. Uh, Sociedad actually finished on top of that group incredibly. So yeah, pretty nice moment for them and their fans. Alright, let's get right to it. The homecoming for Graham Potter, the prodigal son, Brighton's favourite son, returns and does them a favour. RK, do you want to get us started? Yeah, we have seen a few emotional encounters this week uh, in, in cricket as well. I thought Brighton were very emotional at the start of the game. Started off very hot off the blocks, pressing Chelsea. Uh, we talked about this in the group. I didn't really agree with uh, uh, like the kind of formation which Chelsea came up with where Sterling and Pulisic were the wingbacks. Uh, they have played it in a few games this season and not... Uh, it's uh, not always been to their detriment. They have had some good results as well. But uh, those two uh, seem to have a role where they don't actually aren't meant to track back. Uh, and Brighton were all over in the spaces behind them. Uh, they were, especially with Kukurela, 
they were uh, they had a lot of one on ones uh, with uh, against kukurella and they were also getting in uh, behind chaloba and they really made chelsea pay in that first half chelsea tried to recover by changing the shape which we have again seen not for the first time where they move from three at the back to four at the back and then they improved for a bit but again i th- i thought chelsea fell flat at the end all in all for 4-1 was a very deserving result i thought yeah so um i think one of the points that uh, ab made also while we were watching the match was that uh, perhaps there is a lack of uh, personnel available at the moment so maybe that was one of the decisions uh, one of the decisions on potter's mind as to why he went with the personnel at the back and like you said they did have good results but they are missing reese james and aspiliqueta is no uh like spring chicken and he can't play a lot of games on the bounce as well so perhaps they are a little hamstrung but there's no doubt that it didn't work and recently just read that chilwell is also potentially going to spend some time uh, on the sidelines so i don't think the situation is going to get any better anytime soon what do you think yeah uh, but in that game uh, chilwell was on the bench uh, as pilikata was also there i uh, of course there is a need to rotate etc but uh i don't know why uh, you know and loftus cheek has also played a few games as right wing back uh, so i i don't know the exact reason uh, uh, you know why that formation needs to be selected time and again especially when sterling is your prime attacker uh, in in a, in a long run making him play too many games in that position doesn't really serve the purpose defensively or offensively either yep hopefully this is not a uh thing that he's going to keep going for a long time or for the entire season hopefully is just a victim of the circumstance right now so um i think they should move back to a regular formation and but looking at the injuries right now i see that also being quite challenging particularly on the left side um what did you make of brighton though we've talked about brighton in the recent past um, so while we've talked about chelsea's formation and some of their tactics uh brighton's energy you did reference but what did you make of uh, deserby and uh, how brighton looked yeah very positive performance and uh, uh, especially kaisedo uh, in midfield i thought he was uh, you know running he was very bright making good passes uh, the equatorian left back estupinian also making really foraging runs down the left uh very good energy from brighton uh and they worked very intelligently to expose the spaces once chelsea went to four at the back i thought uh brighton suddenly didn't know you know what hit them and they struggled for a bit uh but they were still they were still looking for space on the counter and uh, uh like even though they didn't have control they made chelsea pay and a shout out to the brighton crowd that was really noisy and uh you know they were sledging potter they were sledging they were all over kukurella uh great atmosphere and they were really up for it all in all just a question for you guys on back coming back to chelsea just a bit uh like what do you think about kukurella he was one of the main signings of the season uh player of the uh, season uh you know for brighton as well but he's been really struggling so far and also how do chelsea go ahead from here with all their injuries what kind of formation what team should they select i can maybe just reference a previous pod where we were discussing the north and south team i think ukrela made left back of that team uh, if i'm not wrong so it hasn't been completely poor he started off pretty well 
and uh, uh, Chilwell I do think is the better left back and I, I did call that out on that episode as well but uh, Cucurella had a pretty strong start and perhaps with the managerial change and uh, which is weird because it was his ex-manager um, with the managerial change perhaps there has been some adjustment to the overall system and I'm sure in an ideal world he would not have had to play so many games uh, on the bounce so that is another thing different positions as well left back and at left of center back now so I'm not too worried he looks like a very capable player and uh, technically sound player so I don't think um, there's anything to worry about particularly I think positionally there was a lot of problems that Chelsea as a team had this time maybe it's just not being used to the right formation and uh, perhaps the games that they did play with the formation that they played in the Brighton game the open opposition was not well equipped to kind of make them pay for it and Brighton is clearly a team that can make anybody pay for it so I won't read too much into it I think uh, it's a work in prog- progress team and Cucurella has been good before at Chelsea itself so not too worried Coming to the uh, injury point, I, I have no, I have no clue. If Aspiliqueta is your only uh, fit right back, I think um, it's not a good place to be. Depending on uh, Aspiliqueta to play two games a week, leave alone three. The only thing that they can say is the World Cup is coming up soon, so they don't have to worry about it for too long. And maybe, like you said, they can use Ruben Loftus Cheek in there as well. I think, I think another point about. Um, about Chelsea and their injuries is that they really don't know what's their best team uh, is at the moment. Um, I think Kukurela had a really positive start to his Chelsea career, and then um, and they also bought Wesley Fofana, who is one of the highest, uh, uh, you know, one of the most expensive defenders, and he's rated very highly at least in France, right? And he hasn't he hasn't played at all. So Potter is also trying to find out, you know, what exactly his best team is, his best shape is. He has also played Raheem Sterling at uh, left wing back, or rather, he was forced to do that. And I'm pretty sure Sterling would not want to play there as well. Uh, so when it comes to you know high expectations and it, it comes to uncertainty, you probably take it out the most on the people that you trust, and that's why I think. Uh, and that's why I think um, uh, Potter has been very hard on Cocorella. So that's why I think in the United game as well, when he when 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 he noticed the tactics were not working, Cocorella was the first person he took off. Uh, so I think it's wait and watch for uh, Chelsea. But as a United fan who hates Chelsea, I, I'm just loving what's happening with them. Yeah, I think um, we have to we have to do, we have to mention here that being one of the world's most expensive defenders doesn't count for much when it comes to dependability and performances. I'm sure we have a few examples uh, here and there um, that you guys might know of. Uh, just talking of expensive defenders, I think Kolibali might be back in contention for the Arsenal game. So maybe some defensive numbers uh, will be made up. But yeah, all in all, I hope you know we have done enough uh, today to. Uh, you know, keep up interested in, uh, you know, getting back at us later. All right, moving on then. Um, let's move on to uh, another London team who is not f- facing a similar uh, kind of predicament as uh, as Chelsea. Arsenal absolutely took Forrest to the cleaners. Um, I, for one, thought that this is the kind of treatment that this Nottingham Forest team deserves, not the kind of treatment that we saw last week when Liverpool played them. And we made them look a lot better than they actually are. Uh, They're a very poor team. 
defensively extremely questionable and arsenal absolutely brought them and laid their weaknesses bare um, i thought the game was excellent from arsenal the goals were excellent and i think you you just get the vibes from from the place when a guy like reese nelson uh, kind of pops up out of nowhere and plays like a match winning role scoring two goals everything seems to be going right uh, at arsenal uh except perhaps some doubts around their number 9 rk anything to add there yeah uh, i i don't know how many goals uh, he has gone you know uh, or how many xg goals he has gone without scoring now uh, to be fair to him he has given a uh, quite a few assist and he is uh, in terms of movement he is pretty unselfish makes space for others makes the runs that others you know don't make and in overall he's been a good positive but uh you know uh, when he joined arsenal we talked about how he was 20 goals uh, he had scored less than his xg at man city right uh, uh, probably you know those kind of things might be repeating at arsenal i don't know maybe it's too early to say but uh, gap jesus's goal scoring might become a problem for arsenal going forward uh, especially when they start hitting more tough patches uh i think i think it, i i don't think he was ever bought as a striker who would you know uh, was like the main main guy in the team uh he he has been doing this for brazil as well like there are there are other superstars around him there are other players who would do chip in with the goals at the moment i don't see you know arsenal really needing him but okay, i i i agree in the big games where you are relying on that one person who pops in the goal and if that's not If, and if that's not gap jesus it could be a problem but at the moment it's not it's not really a problem i was going to i was going to the stats of the game arsenal had 24 sh- shots in total uh, compared to 5 uh, for forest and 10 of them were on target so and 70% possession as well so it's like complete domination uh, arsenal are definitely heading in the right direction they uh, as an arsenal uh, i mean if i were an arsenal fan i would be worried that we have a world cup in between because i wouldn't want this momentum to stop at all and uh, they have also had goals uh, very uniformly spread across the team when you have your cdm uh, when you have guys like parte who are uh, you know cropping up outside the box and uh, it's it's more than one time that he's come up with that finish uh, and uh, you know zaka is having a wonderful season so right now of course arsenal don't really need the goals uh, from only coming from the number 9 but you never know when those kind of momentum shifts happen yeah so on on jesus because i've been a colossal jesus fan and defender throughout so i have feel the need to come in here um, one thing that uh, athletic i think almost read everybody's minds and came up with an article on on this exact point uh, earlier this week So one of the points that they made is that he they he, one he's gone through these phases before even at City although he was playing on the wings uh, primarily at Man City um, but his xg per game is around 0.59 which is i think the second best in the last say five or six seasons uh, that he's been playing in the Premier League so the positive here is that he's getting into the positions where uh goals to score goals um, more often than perhaps he was in past in the past and i don't think anybody can question his all round game his pressing ability his uh, ability to bring other players into the game arsenal as a team are overperforming their xg by almost 7 or 8 goals so that is uh, boding well for them and he is a he is of prime importance and uh, i think we cast doubt on him prior to kick off so i think every all of us were keeping a close eye on his performance in the game and he was extremely involved 
involved in anything good that Arsenal was doing. And the two assists, of course, they do stand out, but he was involved in all the positive play that Arsenal had. So personally, I'm not really worried. All right, then let's move on to the next game. Um, uh, we had Man City play against Leicester. It was not a high-scoring game for one of the best teams in the league versus one of the worst teams in the league, at least according to the table. So, what did we think about that, Ashwin? Um, yeah, I think um, uh, yeah. Some sometimes the table lies right because Leicester are definitely uh, in the bottom three. But uh, one thing that the table does not show is that uh, Leicester have actually gotten more goals than fifth place Man United and sixth place Chelsea. Um, so uh, and also the fact that Haaland was not playing uh, was uh, music to all Leicester fans and particularly Brendan Rodgers who admitted to it later. Um, it was a very, uh, it was a very, uh, I wouldn't call it tense game. I think City did have uh, control over the game, but it needed a mo- uh, moment of magic. And when someone like Haaland isn't uh, playing, uh, you have, uh, you know, uh, and the, you know, the, the luxury of having another, another superstar in Kevin De Bruyne and probably the goal of the month uh, with the free kick that he scored. I think that's what, that's what they needed. And they got the three points and, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, it's three points that matters in the end. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I also thought that Leicester finished the game uh, uh, like pretty well. Last fifteen twenty minutes, they had decent amount of chances to try and equalize. Uh, overall, as we talked about previously, their form has been improving. Uh, but these were not matches anyway where they were supposed to build points. Uh, so they will be, you know, coming back to uh, like. The games where they actually need to, uh, you know, cook up points starting from, you know, Everton, uh, I think, this week. I can't leave without mentioning goal of the month. Uh, sure, it was an outstanding goal, but I'm my mind is going back to Yuri Tielemans' strike from last week. And he almost doubled that up this week with a strike straight off a corner and uh, it, it onto the post. That has, that would have, if that had gone in, that would have been the two best goals scored in consecutive weeks by anybody in history. Um, so yeah, my goal of the month is definitely Yuri Tillemans last time around. Uh, what about Newcastle? We've been talking about them uh, as a potential uh, game changer and we're scared about the progress that they can make. A uh, lot of talk about last week about Villa's no manager bounce. Uh, what, what do we make of Newcastle? Yeah, we were talking of you know special goals that City needed to score without Haaland. That's what they need to do when... You know, uh, stars like Grealish don't end up scoring for them. And uh, I, like he talked about a player from Newcastle. That Newcastle player is also a contender for goal of the month. Almiron continues to bang in the goals and win the Almiron versus Grealish debate as well. That was an yeah, incredible no, uh, stat actually. Uh, Almiron's uh, stock uh, keeps going up, up and up. I think uh, uh, Grealish, uh, uh, Grealish I, I think he needs, this season is probably, it's, it's going to be his breakthrough season. Uh, I feel um, if he can if he can uh, keep injury injury free, I think the Krelish and Haaland uh, combination would be there to watch out for. But I think we have discussed City enough. Uh, I think Newcastle are the team to watch out for. Um, they are playing some really good football. Four 0 win again. Um, Callum Wilson is uh, you know um, uh, certainly knocking on the doors, and like I'm pretty sure like. Uh, Garrett Southgate would uh, he would be uh, eyeing a, sp- a spot in the World Cup as well. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm pretty sure uh, you know uh, you know that is something that's playing on Garrett Southgate's mind as well. Um, 
uh, they have got some interesting fixtures ahead of the World Cup, uh, and I feel that they can actually cement the fourth place uh, ahead of the winter break that we have uh, for the World Cup as well. Uh, but yeah, um, let's see. I mean, the season is long. Uh, I mean, it could be the momentum that we are talking about, and I mean that momentum can fizzle fizzle out as well. Yeah, I'm just waiting for uh, this World Cup break for a few teams. Uh, Arsenal we talked about and Newcastle is the other one. Hopefully, uh, that break, you know, breaks their form as well. Just, uh, I mean, uh, RK mentioned the stat on, well, he, he mentioned the comparison between Grealish and Almiron. Uh, so the stat was how Almiron is overperforming, well, outperforming Grealish on both XG and goals scored for the season and by a significant distance. And the first time I saw that stat on Twitter, I was wondering what, wh- why this comparison and then I started reading about it. This was actually coming, stemming from a quote that uh, Jack Grealish made about Riyad Mahrez. So I think in one of the games where Riyad Mahrez was performing really poorly, he made a comment, uh, a jibe of sorts, against Almiron saying that Mares was playing like Almiron and, and that's why he got subbed off. So I didn't know about that. So that's a little bit of that extra spice and banter and this season continues to keep delivering on that. Yeah, and you know, the funny part also is that uh, a lot of Man City fans now, uh, there's a new school of thought, you know, how do you measure wingers? And apparently now the new way to measure wingers is how they contribute to, you know, assist of assist and build up play and how goals and assists are not, uh, you know, no longer relevant for forwards. Anyway, moving on, uh, there was another game that caught our eye last week, which was uh, the Fulham game. Uh, it was a 3-2 and one of the most entertaining games of the week. But this week, uh, we were keeping a close eye on Fulham's uh, game against Everton. Uh, it was a nil-nil, but was it a boring one, RK? It was a very interesting game, especially the first half. Uh, uh, you know, quite end to end, the intensity was very high, and it was kind of what we expected. There were lots of chances even within the first 15-20 minutes of the game. Standout things for me from that game was even though uh, Calvert Lewin was uh, a bit rusty, but the way the two teams set up with Calvert Lewin and with Mitrovic being so good in the hold-up play and the way that you know they make their runs in the box that was interesting to watch. Villian. Uh, had a, a really good game again, I thought. Uh, Fulham overall started taking better control in the second half and uh, they kind of lived up to what we thought of them, how uh, like well-organized they are. So, Fulham, I think, came out a bit better team uh, in uh, you know from the match for me and they will be a team that we will continue to watch out for. Alright. I think that brings us to the end of part one. Um, if you're... Our potential sponsor listening in. This is exactly the point where you get your slots in. Um, we've been getting loads of offers, but we're just trying to find the right one for us. So keep them coming in. Uh, this is the end of part one. We'll see you again soon in part two. Welcome back. And we get started with part two with our Who Am I quiz. This has now become an integral part of our podcast. A little bit of a twist this time around. It's not going to be clues on the person or their career it's going to be um, a guessing game on who the player is based on the teammates that he has played with so let's get this started then question one my teammates are theo walcott kyle walker sergio ramos and ashley williams just clarifying that the teammates could be from any club that they've played with in their entire career or even the national team is it adebayor it is not Adebayor. I don't think he would have played with Ashley Williams. 
world-class players like Sergio Ramos and EPL, one of the legendary EPL players like Kyle Walker, uh, one of the almost good players like Theo Walcott and Ashley Williams. I am Mikel Arteta. <laughs> it is not Mikel Arteta. Okay, I'll give you a clue. The national team colleague here is Ashley Williams. Now it should be pretty easy. I am Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale. Sorry. RK gets oh, it. No. It's Gareth Bale indeed. I thought this would be an easy one to start off with. But let's move on to the next one. My teammates are David Luiz, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, David De Gea and Edison Cavani. I am Angel Di Maria. Outstanding. RK is on a roll. Two in a row. Alright, let's move on. Just because I hate him so much. <laughs> Uh, I think our, uh, Ashwin is busy bringing out the snake memes. Moving on to question three. Uh, my teammates are Nicholas Otamendi, James Rodriguez, yeah. Ander Herrera, Thibaut Courtois, Chesk Fabregas and Kylian Mbappe. Okay, a clue then. He is South American. And Leandro Baradis. Nope. Another clue perhaps. Ander Herrera was my teammate at Manchester United. Marcos Rojo? Nope, okay. The final clue, my compatriot, my national teammate was James Rodriguez. Okay, final, final, final clue and this will be more of a clue to RK than than Ashwin but on our last Goa trip RK we were doing a list of the worst signings United has made and he was in the bottom five of that list. I know how much you guys want to try and forget some signings like this, but this is ridiculous, man. I am Radamel Falcao. Indeed. Too many clues on that one. I don't think I deserve points on that, but just a, <laughs> a nightmare we want to forget, perhaps. <laughs> now, this last one is a personal favorite player of mine, so you guys better get this. The teammates are Gael Clichy, Chesk Fabregas, Simon Mignolet, Christian Eriksen. Kevin De Bruyne and Paul Pogba. This player will go down in as a legend in the Premier League, at least in his own eyes. I am Romelu Lukaku. Nope. No. Kel Clichy and Fabricas. Nicholas Bentner. Indeed. Bentner. Yeah, Was that a clean sweep from RK today? I, I, I think I deserve negative points for Falcao one at least. But if you deserve negative points for that, what does Ashwin deserve in that case? <laughs> no points which is still higher than negative points <laughs> <laughs> alright then that's the end of the quiz for this episode moving on I tried to delay it as much as I could but the next topic on our discussion is Liverpool and their terrible terrible defeat to Leeds I don't want to get this started RK do you want to get us started on this uh, we were talking of you know pendulum swings uh, from Liverpool but at least in the league now, instead of a pendulum, it was just another level down. Uh, they beat Man City, they, uh, then they beat West Ham, and started, like just when you were thinking that okay, Liverpool are probably inching their way back, they lose to the two worst teams in the division. And as you said, Forest have been shown uh, their actual uh, you know form by other teams in the Premier League. Uh, in the in this case, Arsenal. I'm sure that Leeds will also be shown their place by other teams uh, in the Premier League. Jesse Marsh was under so much pressure coming into the game, even from his own fans. I really don't know how Liverpool were able to mess that up. 
my favorite moment from that game was the celebration from Jesse Marsh. I don't really know what he was doing. It didn't really look that nice, but probably he was just strumming a guitar. I don't know. Yeah, he came out and said that even he has no clue what that celebration was. And his wife actually asked him, what the hell are you doing on live television? So yeah, that's a little bit of the positive side of my commentary on this game. Coming back to the main topic, it was just dire. It was depressing to watch. We dominated that game. We should have beaten them easily, significantly. We missed a lot of chances. We created enough to win that game. But that underbelly and that tension that crept up when... Things are not going your way. That was a large part of the second half. And the goal that we conceded for the second goal... Okay, the first goal, I'm willing to give that a pass. There was a slip in the play. Alisson, I, I still feel Alisson would have definitely got to that ball. It's, it was a slow pass. He just needed to take two steps forward and he would have gotten to it. Virgil was not paying attention. He was daydreaming. Missed that completely. Uh, attacker who reacted late got to the ball in front of Virgil and tapped it in. So that was disappointing. But I'm going to give that goal a pass. The second goal, there's no passes. It was the worst goal that someone can concede. You had a two-on-one situation on the wing with two people who had come off the bench. Fresh legs, fresh mind, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And neither of them came close to making a tackle. He dribbled past them and put the ball into the box. And what happened since then, again, I'm not going to blame any defender in the box after that. For me, the problem happened in letting that pass come in. It's happened way too often this season. And just um, losing all hope for for this season... Then we go into midweek and then put in a performance against who I feel have been the informed team in the world right now, Napoli. So yeah, a typical Jekyll Hyde performance, but I think they're saving uh, Hyde for only the Premier League. And it uh, looks like we're not going to get that top four no matter what we do. Although the points are not too bad, we're only we're within hitting distance. I don't think, uh, given our consistency, we're going to be anywhere near that. Yeah, so uh, first of all, on that second goal, uh, I slightly differ from you uh, on who was responsible. Of course, I completely agree with you that the two subs who came on should have done a better job there. But uh, I don't think uh, Van Dyke and Thiago and even Joe Gomez were really, uh, you know, sharp enough. I think that goal could easily have been prevented. When I was seeing it live, I was a bit surprised that suddenly that space opened up and he was able to kind of side foot it into the net. Uh, you also talked about the points. Yeah, you are right that it's not, you know, really a disastrous situation in terms of how many points they are behind the fourth place uh, teams. Uh, but this was the same amount of points. Uh, I read that Roy Hodgson had, uh, uh, he also had 12 uh, games, 16 points. I remember Ole last year, uh, you know, had 12 games and 17 points. Of course, he only had four in his last eight of course, we are talking of a different, completely different entity, completely, you know, a legend of the sport and the game in Klopp, who, of course, doesn't get comparisons with those kind of names. Uh, uh, but, I mean, the only way, you know, I can not sound repetitive or, uh, you know, with the kind of form that Liverpool are going through is just to reiterate, you know, some of their stats. Like, for example, the first home game defeat for Van Dyke, I think, uh, the first home game defeat in front of crowds uh, for maybe five years, five and a half years. And, uh, uh, you know, they continue their practice of conceding early goals. Uh, and just a pointer to how excellent Liverpool have been in the past, we should not forget that last season, they lost only 22 points the whole season. Now they have already lost 20. 
yeah so um i i the one thing i would say though ake is that tiago and van dijk were both backtracking and i think they didn't have time to get themselves into a stable position and decide who's going left and who's going right uh, nyoto was very um, active and uh, quite impressive actually throughout their entire game the guy who finally scored Uh, the cut in it was a toe poke, so it was early because we have left a lot to Allison. I think even Allison was caught out by high how early he took the shot. Uh, I I I find it hard to blame the defenders because it was such an easy ball to prevent from coming into the box. And for me, a lot of our game is about preventing the dangerous situation, and we have been one of the worst teams at doing that this entire season. So maybe I'm biased because this is what made us a great defensive team in the past where we don't let it come to that situation where it's a shot that can be taken. So that's why I'm probably a bit more pissed about that. Um Ashwin, anything you want to weigh in on? I think the one thing that uh, uh, the one thing that I find very surprising about the Liverpool team this time around is they've been so sluggish and they've been very they start the game very slow like compared to the previous teams at previous uh, liverpool liverpool teams at least i know they they had a lot of injuries and now with diaz out as well that is that is also added to it but i i just feel that every time a goal comes in it's it 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 is very reactionary like the sala equalizer that came in was also it was also quite reactionary um and even even midweek in the uh, in the game against napoli i think the goals that uh, had come in were pretty late uh, so i it, it it doesn't feel like the liverpool of the old right and the defensive frailties that we we've been talking about i mean we have been talking about for the past many weeks uh, i think there's definitely something of there just the the org, the organizations doesn't seem to be the way it it used to be uh, coming to leeds uh, then i i mean jesse marsh has been saying that our our team has been performing well and the results will come in uh, this was one of those occasions where the result did come in and you could see that you know there was so much frustration building up inside of them and they celebrated as if they had won the champions league um so i think fair play to jesse marsh and uh, leeds united on getting uh, a famous win uh, win at anfield so raja a thought for you i think we have we ran right with this when you were not there but i still have a few you know unfinished questions on that uh, like personally for me uh, liverpool's spend when you look at it in the last four seasons after uh, the 1819 season they have uh, you know spent around 70 75 million every summer uh, i think one season after the 1819 one they did uh, they, they barely spent anything the last midfielder that they have signed other than thiago Uh, uh like uh, thiago was the only midfielder that they signed after signing nabi keita and uh, uh you know uh, uh in the summer of 2018 do you think especially with the age profile of those midfielders and given that you always play a 433 and you kind of need okay six positions and uh, we have talked about the fact that there are eight midfielders and milner is the eighth choice however given that milner is one of them and then you have people like Uh, Oxlade Chamberlain, Thiago, Naby Keita, guys who get so injury prone. Do you think? I I still feel that you know Liverpool should have invested earlier in a midfielder. What do you think? Okay, so this was the buzz topic all through the summer, right? This was the every Liverpool forum, every Liverpool podcast, every fan section, any article written about Liverpool was where is that midfielder? Sometimes I get really annoyed about um, 
the narrative it was like how are you going to replace Ginny Wijnaldum we had already replaced Ginny Wijnaldum by signing Thiago the the the, the window before that uh, we didn't need to replace Ginny Wijnaldum as a performer in terms of quality what we did need to replace was his unspeakable reliability and availability that is where i think we have struggled now i made the point when i got back from my holiday and i had listened to all the podcasts back and you guys were talking about how the succession planning was not right i made the pla- i made the point that i think liverpool has gone about succession planning in an incredibly efficient way and i stand by that however you are absolutely right that this has not extended to the cent- center of midfield and if you look at our um, our before tiago came in the midfield was a large part of the security of the team so it allowed a lot of the other players to do what they had to do because the running came in midfield the real the yards and running came in midfield and we are desperately okay so uh, going back to ashwin's point yes we start slow i think that is more of a mental thing but there is very much a physical thing right now which is a problem with certain players in the squad milner there's no question about it of course he's he's almost 35 or 36 right now henderson is not getting any younger and i think his physicality will only go down from here tiago was never the most physical in fact one of the quotes that he had after joining for liverpool is the first thing he learned at liverpool was to run this is a guy who's won everything that there is to win and at the age of 29 or 30 he's saying this is the first time i've had to run in my career right so he's never been the most athletic kind of guy where we have failed is that one Naby Keita and Oxlade Chamberlain have been really really unpredictable but they have been on our books and we've not got the right kind of offers to offload them either um they've also been available and been good at spurts so that is a little confusing as well because they were com- they were available almost throughout the entire of last season and then it looked like we had too many midfielders why did we have so many midfielders which is the point i was coming from like we had eight or nine midfielders milner being eight or ninth choice after signing fabio carvalho who could have been played in midfield and now we've started playing bobby firmino also in midfield right like or if you want to call it a 442 you can but essentially it's the we don't have a third midfielder that we're playing so we have so many midfielders in our squad they're just not available and they're always not available at the same time i do feel a little for the for the for the planning and the manager but yes this is something that has happened before and you shouldn't have the same mistakes happen again the other issue that i have is that the next level of fabio carvalho and harvey elliot these are not guys that should be playing every week and they are having to play harvey elliot is having to play every week so we don't have that mid section of the 24 25 year old midfielder in our squad right now that is the issue i think in succession planning midfield alone we have perhaps lost the ball there and it was clear because after going almost two thirds of the transfer window saying we are done we don't have anybody to sign we made a panic by panic not maybe not panic but we made a bid for somebody on day minus 2 before the transfer window ended the the fede valverde was being talked about as one of the people that we were that the people that we actually made the bid for but we did make a bid for somebody we don't know who that somebody is so it is clear and klopp's comments also changed that if we can get the right person in the next two days we will and you know those are the kinds of comments so it was very clear and we were also in for chuamini so it was clear that we were looking for that succession planning in midfield perhaps it's bad luck that we didn't get it done this time but also it's it's probably a failure in the planning part that we didn't get rid of nabi or oxley chamberlain one of them at least so that you can build space for a more dependable guy all right then moving uh, moving on let's go to the other team in red having a slightly better time in the league 
Uh, United beat a slightly resurgent West Ham. The chosen one was back at uh, Old Trafford. So, what did you make of that, guys? Yeah, I think I think uh, United had a good first half. Uh, uh, they tried to replicate a lot of the things that have gone well for them in the recent games, uh, which is basically pressing high and trying to win the ball back and have control of the game. However, where that went. Uh, a bit off track or not uh, like more than a bit off track even in the first half was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo he's continuing to have off games and he didn't really uh, do what the other players were doing off the ball uh, uh, consequent to which we were not really able to commit that many people uh, high up the field especially from the full back side uh, however we still created a good amount of chances uh, rashford himself had three chances in a in quite a good game the third of which he scored uh, that was a great assist by Ericsson and DSK made a great point. I mean, uh, uh, it's now a very good motif among United fans already uh, that Ericsson is to United right now what Pogba was meant to be. So, uh, he continues to do that despite having a stinker uh, against Real Sociedad in midweek. Uh, still, Ericsson has been one of the better players. The other signings uh, have continued to do well as well. Even in this West Ham game, Casemiro has now won the player of the month uh, for Manchester United. Second half, the tide, the tide turned a bit. Uh, I was not entirely happy with Ten Hag substitutions and uh, we did not really get control of the game. Uh, and as we have already talked about, uh, you know, it's thanks to Deja that we were able to escape with three points. I think the second half, uh, we are basically just, uh, you know, uh, watching the game uh, with our uh, head on our hands because it was so... It was so difficult to watch. Uh, it, I was very certain that West Ham would score, but had it not been for the heroics of David De Gea. Another another player I would really like to highlight is Diego Dallo. Uh, I think I think a year back or even even like maybe six seven months back, we were expecting him to be out of United, uh, uh, not even on a loan, like maybe sold sold to a different club. But he has really turned it around. Uh, we of course. Uh, know for now that Aaron Van Bissaka was not the right signing for us. Uh, so that left us with a choice of either going for Diego Dolo or going for another, spending a lot of money on another right back. Uh, and Diego Dolo has really stepped up there. Um, I think another gritty performance in the sense that it's uh, Ten Hag's teams have not been scoring a lot of goals. And that's why our GD is what it is. Um uh, it, it, and I think I think in the bigger scheme of things, on another day, West Ham would would have probably gotten the draw. Also, just a note on two defenders and uh, two strikers. So uh, Maguire had uh, you know finally made his comeback uh, into the starting eleven. Had a mixed game, uh, but uh, towards the end of the game, he showed the things that he's good at because United were so deep and he did a lot of la- last ditch uh, you know goal saving. Licha Martinez has continued uh, his form, has been outstanding for United. Uh, not hearing many of those uh, Jamie Carragher voices anymore. Uh, the two forwards, uh, Skamaka, uh, had a very quiet game. Uh, he was taken off. Antonio, who I was, uh, you know, uh, like riling against as being very ordinary at the start of the season, he made a very positive difference for West Ham and uh, he really caused us problems. Yeah, just, 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 a, just a quick point on Maguire. Like, I know I've He's not. I don't think he he he's someone who should be playing on a ten half team. But fair play to him. He made a lot of 
uh, last last dish tackles uh, like RK mentioned, and I think he saved us two points there for sure. He's not the, he's not the defender that I would I would I would be very comfortable playing in my in my team, especially the way that Ten Hag wants to play, right? Like the high press and the high counter press. He he just he he's probably more of a Jose Mourinho kind of a player, and had we got him when Jose Mourinho was there, it would have made sense. But for a manager who plays to play modern football based on pressing, I don't think I don't think he's the right guy. Uh, Licha Licha Martinez, sorry, Lissandro Martinez uh, has been has been great, um, and he's been a he's been a warrior. I think together with Diogo Dalot, I think these were the these are the two standout defenders for me, um, and. Uh, uh, I think the only thing we can say about this is uh, uh, where are you hiding, Jamie Carragher? Uh, on my part, I need to put my hand up. I think I've been quite vocally critical of Rashford and his ability to play as a number nine in the past in the past few weeks. I think one thing for sure, though, uh, the intent with which he was uh, running into the box, looking for the ball, whether it came or not, was pure number nine play. He had one dress rehearsal for the goal earlier in the game where he hit it straight to the keeper and then had almost the same chance where he ended up scoring. So full points to him on that. I think that was pure number nine play and that Alan Shearer would have been proud of a goal like that. All right, with that, we come to the end of uh, part two. Uh, We'll be back in part three where we look at what's happened around Europe. Welcome back and we get started with our European roundup. Uh, we had a full game of fixtures, the final game of uh, uh, all the group stages in Europe. And we had some surprises and some uh, interesting positional finishes. Paris Saint-Germain, how good are they? How good is Messi? But they still finish second? Yeah, I think it's been a, it's been an interesting uh, season for PSG. Now, I mean, of course, they play in a farmer's league. So, they, 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 have, to, they have to be finishing first and... Um, uh, and you know, uh, finishing first by a mile. But I think it's, it's the Champions League that we know that um, their owners really crave for. Uh, one of the uh, major talking points for this season has been the resurgence of Lionel Messi. I think um, if last season was Cristiano Ronaldo with uh, the 20 goals that he's got, uh, this season seems to be uh, Lionel Messi. He's already got more goals than what he scored the whole of last season. Um, so that's obviously looking like a positive sign, but I think one of the one of the biggest changes or uh, uh, pivots that has happened this time around is that he's also uh, dictating the play quite a bit, and this is something that he used to do uh, in his final seasons uh, at Barcelona. Once uh, uh, once Xavi left, he almost became that that midfielder who was creating a lot. So uh, I think uh, it's not just the goals, but it's also the assists. Uh, so I think uh, that's what has probably prompted David Beckham to sign uh, Lionel Messi next season for Inter Miami as well. Yeah, we were talking about Messi in one of the earlier podcasts, uh, and Ab was saying, uh, you know, describing how he continues to be great, and uh, I made the mistake of saying that he continues to be in decline. Uh, I think he's made me eat my words. A bit since then, he's he has 12 goals and I think 13 assists so far this season and that's not counting Argentina. And uh, Ashwin, the point you made on how he's become more of a creator, uh, I was just checking and he has a uh, XA of 0.85 in the French League this season, which is higher than it's ever been for him. Uh, of course, this is only 
maybe one by third of the season but uh, along with an xg of 0.6 per game when you add 0.85 he's gone back to that you know a stratospheric level of almost 1.5 uh, goal contributions that he is almost you know able to generate per game uh, the concern which i still have about messi is that uh, you know he doesn't really he he's not comp- always involved in the game right he he is definitely the best player in the world he will lay claim to that again but he's not like your kdb and salah and you know people who are in the uh, you know the, the top of the creators list he flits in and out of games and chooses his moments very intelligently so uh, the criticism which i had of him that he doesn't have the engine anymore to you know contribute in the biggest games i still have those suspicions and uh, when you know we reach the knockouts and we reach the uh, the world cup latter stages against really good teams i think that's when that intelligence that he has doesn't really help him uh, you know he you always need more intensity and more running and that's where he tends to go a bit anonymous one thing definitely keep in mind is that after a world cup uh, he is likely to be completely exhausted because his responsibilities with argentina will be different but he is coasting if you're talking about a farmers league i don't think it gets more farmer than than ligo so if he can he can spend half his time walking and i think it will still be okay they'll still win the league by a canter so he does have some energy to spare in liga versus say in la liga even though la liga is not the most competitive league either but um, it'll be interesting to see how he does after the world cup because that will be a physical and mental I, i mean i fully expect argentina not to get uh, over the line so it will be a large mental issue as well because this is probably his last international major tournament as well yeah and teams will really be uh, you know the, the first place teams will be waiting to avoid psg when the draw comes out and that's in no small measure due to benfica uh we were talking of napoli and they are also benfica have also been one of the form teams this season they have dropped only two points uh in their league so far and to finish top of a group which is containing psg and i won't take juventus's name they are on the same page but uh benfica probably a team to watch for the rest of the season napoli of course like you mentioned uh one of the informed teams in the in the world i would say at this point of time 15 points uh liverpool also managed 15 points which was quite uh quite a remarkable turnaround from that 4-1 thrashing at the hands of napoli uh, i think they fully deserved to beat napoli they played well they switched back to the 4-3-3 kept them quiet defensively and uh, had two set pieces that uh, made the difference in the end uh, but it was quite pleasing to see psg drop down to second place at the last uh, at the last stage because I am as a Liverpool fan you would not fancy facing them there are still some incredible teams uh, in the draw though Bayern Real Madrid Napoli these are all like non Premier League teams which have finished first uh, and Premier League teams like Spurs and Chelsea have also and City of course have also finished first in their groups uh, let's move on to the next one then uh, Spurs finished first by the edge of like it was an edge of the seat thing by the skin of their teeth they finished first they were at one stage not going to make it into the champions league i think at half time or a little before half time and then they finally finished up winning the group it was quite incredible yeah we didn't uh, talk about uh, spurs uh, when we covered the premier league the two matches were uh, you know pretty similar in the aspect of how uh, spurs generally played they started off very slowly against bournemouth and even against uh, in this game they were having you know very less of the possession they were on the back foot and somehow 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 spurs you know keep finding a way out uh, 
and somehow you know making it count so they have that fighting spirit but it continues to be a season where uh, the, uh, you know uh, like spurs are not looking convincing and it's always a matter of is it are the wheels going to come off i remember a season with louis van hal uh, when united were 14 games and 28 points and towards the top of the table probably even first at at one point in time and then suddenly wheels came off i don't expect that to happen with conte but spurs's performances are not really improving they're lucky to finish on top of the group so just going through the list um there's some potentially tasty affairs that could be in the knockout stages bayern uh, versus liverpool sadio mane returning to anfield that will be something we could potentially see a chelsea versus inter with romelu lukaku returning to the scene of his crimes so there's a lot to and oh of course there could be a city versus psg i think we would all love to see a city versus psg knockout <laughs> round but this wasn't the only Uh, interesting part of this entire week some serious teams finished third in their groups and just to name a few ajax barcelona sevilla juventus bayer leverkusen with xabi alonso some really interesting stuff and some supporters around the world uh, may be interested in who's finished third in the champions league i wouldn't know why but rk are you one of them yeah unfortunately uh, after finishing second we are going to face one of those teams and knowing how corrupt uefa is i don't think there's going to be a draw it's either going to be juventus or barca coming united's way i'm sure of that i i think it was uh, i think a lot of chat in the group of welcome franky de jong to the europa league are you not looking forward to playing him then i'm definitely not looking forward to playing barca uh, but juventus is a proposition i wouldn't mind uh, to see paul pogba come in and if juventus maintain their current form i i think we can give them a you know right little bollocking yeah i think juventus would be a good draw but i'm i i have to say i'm fully 100% into the barcelona versus manchester united bandwagon i can't wait for it all the frankie de jong haters i want to i want to i, I want to hear what everybody's got to say when that draw happens looking forward to that ashwin what did what do you make of the europa and the champions league dropouts to be honest after the summer we have had with the whole frankie de jong uh Debacle, I would say it's good to see Barcelona are in <laughs> in are in the Europa League. Uh, I mean, on social media, I think if there are any trolls that are going, most trolls that are uh, you know trending are of Barcelona finishing in the Europa League. And Lev- there's this there's this video of Lewandowski dancing to the Europa League uh, theme as well, which I find find particularly funny. Uh, but jokes apart, I I mean I would really welcome a Barcelona versus United. I mean, not because of Frankie De Jong, but like, it's, like these are two big heavyweights. Uh, they, it has come down to this that they are, we are seeing them play in the Europa League. But like, what's not to enjoy about um, two big teams like Barcelona and United playing against each other? Yeah, one team I'm really happy didn't come into this conversation uh, is Atletico Madrid. They lost to Porto on the last game week, and they finished fourth, bottom of their group. So a good riddance, I would say. I think Leverkusen and Xabi Alonso having a bit of a, um, yeah. a mixed start to his career. Some really positive results and some really poor ones. Particularly the thrashing at Frankfurt. Uh, but that happened to be the only Bundesliga team that dropped into the Europa League. We had three Bundesliga teams move on to the next round of the Champions League. Now, what do you say about the Farmers League then, Ashwin? 
that it's not a farmer's league, like I've always been saying. But uh, I'm not surprised that Leverkusen are, have dropped to the Europa League. They are, uh, they are, I think, 16th in the Bundesliga. So they haven't particularly had a good, uh, I can't call it start, but like they haven't had a, a good run in the Bundesliga at all. It's not the Leverkusen that we had of last season that was able to qualify for the Champions League. Uh, but yeah, I'm really happy that three Bundesliga teams have uh, qualified for the next round. We knew Bayern and uh, Dortmund would qualify, but Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, fifth in the Bundesliga at the moment. To me, it's not a surprise, but I, I, I can't I can't say the, say the same about RK. I think he's very surprised that there's three teams that have qualified into the next round. Yeah, I think I have been eating some humble pie recently uh, with respect to Messi. Uh, for, like 4-1. So, probably uh, I give it to you on that. Uh, Ashwin, you have been fighting, you know, Bundesliga's corner for a long time and it's a pleasant surprise to see three, uh, you know, three teams going through. I'll just say that there have been three or sometimes even four teams from the Bundesliga qualifying for the next round in the past years as well. I'll eat my humble pie when I see the league table at the end of the season. Uh, if somebody actually gives Bayern a run for their money, Bayern, by the way, finished with six wins out of six in the group of death. So I think that shows their real caliber. So I really don't think anybody's close to them in the Bundesliga. Uh, in a group with uh, the teams that they played with to finish with six wins, I think kudos to them. And they are definitely a force to be reckoned with. Just before we move on to uh, the, the looking forward to the next uh, weekend of Premier League games, one shout out to Gerard Piquet who announced his retirement uh, earlier this week. I think one of the finest centre-backs that we've ever seen. Um, and when you say he graced the game, I think it's actually true for a guy like Gerard Piquet. An absolutely graceful, uh, incredible player to watch. His technique, his the way he dribbles the ball into midfield, the cross-field balls that people like Van Dijk are now putting into their game. It all started with people like... Uh, PK and of course defensively sound physically one of the top one of the best um, specimens that you can see he's won 36 trophies um, and 34 of them at club level just seven behind Danny Elvis which is the highest ever but yeah uh, a legend a true legend in the game uh, one of the finest center backs we'll ever see moving on uh, let's look forward to what we have this week I think there are just two games that kind of stand out more than others Chelsea versus Arsenal is unfortunately the lunchtime kickoff in England, which is at the some of the worst uh, atmospheres that you ever see in games, and it's one of the best games that you can hope for. Um, what do you think is going to happen in that game? It's basically you would always favor Arsenal uh, in the form that they are in and the uh, difficulties that we have already talked about that Chelsea are going through. However. Uh, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge uh, is again uh, going to be in their advantage. And probably if they have a couple of players, you know, coming back and helping them to get a better balance. Uh, we have talked about, especially the Chelsea fans in our group have talked about how the Potter start has largely been positive. So, uh, while, you know, the, the portents might look as if uh, Chelsea are going to have, have a tough game, I think it will be a very close call and... Potter will find a way to uh, make his team relevant in that contest. However, there will be a lot of narratives, but it's very important for Chelsea to start well if they want to stay in this contest. Uh, one thing that I'm really uh, excited about is uh, Aubameyang and whether he would be starting. He, I think he has some scores to settle with. I think that's a great point, especially after watching the documentary. I cannot wait for Aubameyang. 
back in front of Arteta. I'm I'm half hoping that he does a Luis Suarez, uh, we David Moyes kind of celebration sliding in front of him. That would be uh, really epic. But yeah, I'm now all on board with an Aubameyang goal in that game. The other huge game of the week is also... Um, this at least is a late kickoff, so it should have a great atmosphere. It's a Sunday night. Tottenham versus Liverpool. Um, that should be a really exciting game. I think Tottenham um, are in the right part of the league despite not playing uh, as well as they would have liked to have played. Son Hyun Ming being one of the misses. As much as that hurts my fantasy, I'm going to absolutely accept that with open arms. So what do you guys think about that game? Uh, it's it's a contest between two inconsistent and probably uh, say sluggish teams at the moment. Uh, you really don't know, you know, which Pittsburghs or which Liverpool might turn up. Uh, uh, I think uh, this game is probably more important to Liverpool just because they are trying to get into the top four. I'm not sure if they will be. I, I don't think they are in the in the uh, uh, reckoning for a title anymore. But at least the top four is 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 what they are going for. So it's definitely a a game of epic proportions. Uh, on the Spurs side, like you mentioned, rather Son is out, Kolesowski is already out, Richarlison is out as well. So Conte uh, uh, has some decisions to make. Yeah, I have to say, um, I do expect Liverpool to put in a good performance, despite it being the alternate game and where we're supposed to be shit. Um, I think. Considering Son not being available, of course, Kulusevski is also a, a huge uh, loss. But Son, for me, is the guy who can re- who really strikes fear in my heart. Nobody can come as close to Son in terms of danger there. So I do expect Liverpool to actually put in a good performance and hopefully get the points. Uh, even though it, it is an away game, uh, Darwin is a great positive. So hopefully he can make a difference in this game. Yeah, I, I need to end this with my... You know, customary copyright. Unai Emery has been appointed and has joined at Aston Villa. We have had really tough games against him in the past. We lost the Europa League final. We talked about no manager bounce. I think we are going to see the new manager bounce this weekend. United always drop points when the big teams play each other and we are expected to get the three points. So, I don't think it's going to be a very happy weekend for United as well. I'm going to just, I'm going to post RK's photos as he's, like, you know, screenshots and videos as he's talking. You can see him <laughs> laughing and making these ridiculous statements of jinxing. RK, karma is a you-know-what and it's going to hit you at some point. It has hit your brother many times, particularly in the IPL and with Arsenal. So, just just be, be, be afraid of what you're wishing for. RK with an colossal jinx over there. Hopefully Unai Amri does surprise everybody and gets the job done against United. Yeah, sorry. Can I can I bring my weekly note of optimism there as well to counter RK? Uh, Aston Villa, Villa Park seems like a home away from home. I think we've got a really good record there. Uh, I think it, it's it, the record stretches to some 35 years where we have been unbeaten at Villa Park. So, uh, it's it's the first game. It's I know it's Unai Amri. But maybe it's not the good evening that Unai Emery <laughs> hopes he would have. I think you making comments like this is giving RK some palpitations. It's going against his every strain of his existence. Um, but yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really hoping that Chelsea 
beat arsenal this week so that we get our host back otherwise he is going to be hiding for another week i'm sure uh, looking forward to get swag and up back uh, both of these sar losers need to suck it up and come back onto the podcast uh, and hopefully we won't be talking about jekyll hyde with liverpool and hopefully unai emery does have a good evening and with that a good evening to all of you guys uh, catch you next episode hopefully with a different host see you